welcome back to the weekly Tar Heel little midweek edition here while we are waiting on news on the football front and in a nice long uh, break in the basketball front. Carolina has not played in nine days, but that will change tonight as the Heels host UNCW. I'm not going to break that game down alone. I'm here with Joe Carpenter of TarHeelBlog.com. Joe, how are you, my friend? Doing great. Getting ready for this holiday season, trying to, to keep everything in line for the kids. I like it. Yeah. Uh, fortunate, well, fortunately, as far as my lifestyle goes, I don't have any uh, kids to shop for, and my family extended has gotten pretty easy to shop for these days. But um, what, what, what does that look like on a Joe Carpenter scale? Is that just all day on Amazon just waiting for the right deal to come through or what? All, all day, every day is what it is. So, so mine go five, 10, and 13 are the ages. And man, do they want plenty of stuff. And it's just trying to keep all of the expectations in check, frankly, not unlike the Carolina basketball season. I was going to say that's a great segue because when last we spoke, uh, Carolina had not been up to Ann Arbor yet. But, boy, uh, did they go up there and uh, get their tails kicked. Uh, 84-67, the Wolverines won. Uh, Carolina won the first eight minutes of the game, and then it was just not quite so good after that. Um I know we promised ourselves in the preseason there was a podcast that we recorded that was about 90 minutes long where we kind of talked about this, but we know Roy Williams is going to tinker with rotations, and Carolina was up 23-11 when the tinkering began in that Michigan game. Um, what did you see to where that kind of sapped Carolina's momentum? Yeah, I really think on-court chemistry is an issue, and I don't think that they've they've quite gotten that hammered out which of course you wouldn't really expect I mean it's pretty early in the season still and of course coach Williams is you know legendary for going 10 11 12 deep in the the preseason but I think what differentiates this team a little bit is the second five can play I mean players you know six through ten are legitimate college players that can come in and, and really put some minutes on the board and so you, you're taking good players and trying to find them minutes, which can sometimes be more difficult than maybe just plugging some guys in off the bench just to absorb a little bit of time. Yeah, and you have I, I can't do the factorial numbers right off the top of my head, but when you have you know really 10 or 11 guys that can come in and play, that creates a huge amount of uh, lineup combinations where guys might not be quite as sure of their roles um you would look to Nasir Little as one guy in that area where depending on personnel he's going between the three and the four uh Cam Johnson's going to be much the same way and if you have Brooks and Manley in at the same time it's going to clog up the middle so it has been kind of interesting just watching to see what works and really just trying to establish a pattern of what is going to be the uh the game plan going forward so you know, not to just start knocking guys off the rotation, but what are the biggest weaknesses you've seen as guys have started to establish a little bit more of a sample size here seven games in? Yeah, I think there's two issues that I'm a little concerned with at this point. Um, the the first one is the consistency in scoring. You know, I, I, Kobe White has obviously had a, just an incredible start. He's very fast with the ball. 
but as I point out in my article this week, I, I think he is starting to develop a tendency of driving a little too deep, and it stagnates the offense because once he's getting in around the free throw line and kicking it back out, then all of a sudden you're almost having to reset instead of having that the calm secondary transition or at least uh, smoother flowing game there. And and I, I worry that that once he does that, the team is is degenerating down to really just a jump shooting team, which they're very good at. But, you know, we've got some very athletic wings here and they have an opportunity, I think, to, to drive the ball more. And they're just not right now. So I think that that's one concern is is trying to get uh, Kobe as offense without taking away offense from everybody else, because I, I think that 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 can have an effect. The other thing I'm worried about, frankly, is the interior defense. And it was a problem. Uh, in Texas, it was a problem because the interior defense wasn't able to help on the driving guards, particularly from the point spot when they were going to be put some over on the two as well. And it just wasn't quick enough to get to the middle to stop that uh, against Michigan. It's sort of the same story, new chapter. This time it's on the, the backcourt passes. And Jake did a great job of breaking that down in, in his article and putting those clips up. But I think both of those come down to foot speed. And one issue that that I'm really tink, toying with here, uh, trying to figure out the analysis, is does Luke May get affected by playing the four this year on defense more than playing the five? Because he's been having to match up against guys that can pop out and hit the three and that are a little quicker. And I think to some extent he's being exposed on the interior defensive end a little bit. I would agree with you on that, you know, just with May not really having the lateral quickness to defend the four. Uh, the Lithuanian gentleman from Michigan was a nightmare matchup for him. So that would bring me to kind of the obvious question is at what point does Carolina just go, go ahead, throw caution to the wind, go small, uh, insert little for Brooks into the lineup? Because, you know, from an interior scoring perspective, which is what Roy Williams coaches which is what he wants i saw a stat where brooks and manley on the season are 0 for 13 on hook shots um very low percentage around the rim i just don't know that you're getting the cohesion on offense or defense really with one of them on the court for 40 minutes a game boy it doesn't look like it from an eye test but the numbers would tell you that the defensive efficiency with brooks on the floor is far greater than it is without him on the floor. I think they're in the, the mid-90s with him on the floor, and it is sky high without him on a, from a points-per-possession mm-hmm. um, standpoint. And so, uh, y- you know, uh, that's a, a difficult one to rotate them out. I am not worried about either Brooks or Manley from an offensive standpoint because I continue to believe that the team has enough weapons – particularly on the wings, that they are going to score points. They don't have to have five people on the floor that that always need to shoot and find their scoring opportunities. What they need is somebody inside that can play a little bit better defense. And so that's this year more so than last year. I'm much more hesitant to say it's time to flip that switch and let's go all small because the defensive numbers just aren't pl- playing out that way. You know, without Pence and without Barry, both of whom were were – excellent defenders on the perimeter you in some ways didn't expose the interior as much because they could move their feet a little better laterally than what we're seeing this year on the perimeter yeah and you don't have the entry lanes to get into the post quite as well when you have guys like Penson and Barry hounding the ball the ball handlers up top so you know that that's definitely there's definitely something to be said for that I think it is inevitable at some point they do end up going small just because 
back to your point about Kobe White, the spacing for him works better if there's not somebody clogging up the middle where he can attack off the dribble. And then if he kicks, you can create a little bit more of a flow than if you have the big on the inside. Would you more or less agree with that analysis? Because, you know, like you said, we've got some much better basketball minds uh, on TarHillBlog.com than myself, uh, you being one of them, Mr. Coach yourself. Um, but to me, I mean, you know, it just appears that something just between the spacing, timing, and chemistry, both on offense and defense, really, is just a little bit off. And, you know, being a fan of the modern game of basketball, it just seems like that would be the easiest fix. And yeah, I, I think that's right. I think getting a little more quickness on the floor, particularly on the perimeter, which is essentially what you have. So when you go to the small lineup, you move May over to the five. And so quickness is not going to be a factor with him. You're going to have Johnson or Little pushing over to the four there, presumably, and you're out of your, your first five. And, and either one of them are going to have the quickness to be able to keep up with a four, particularly I like Johnson in that matchup because I don't – he doesn't have the recoverability that Little does from a, a wing player perspective. You know, he's got such a long reach and he's got an excellent quick jump that we've seen him block a lot of shots in recovery this year. Little has from the wing. So I like him on the three. Uh, you know, the other possibility, of course, is you, uh, instead of bringing Little off the bench, so you start seventh woods, you move Kobe over to the two. Uh, that's a possibility as well, although his defense hasn't been great. But boy, doesn't he look more like a shooting guard sometimes than he does a point guard? He does. And I think that can be attributed partially to the learning curve in Roy's system. And, you know, he got a little bit shot happy with how hot he was in the Texas game and carried that over to the UCLA game. And if they're falling, that's not a problem because if, you know, if, if you look at somebody like Oklahoma last year with uh, Trey Young, they were a very good team and the assist numbers were still there. Uh, Kobe has not really proven to be quite that distributor yet, but it just feels to me that there would be a little bit more opportunity for him to distribute if he could penetrate and then not necessarily have to kick and reset, like you said, but have an opportunity, you know, with five guys out to get to the basket a little bit more to find cutters or to find open shooters when the defense collapses. Yeah. Yeah. And then they've kind of make the outside shots, right? So we've seen both Williams and May miss a slew of open shots outside and the only way that you can have the defense, you know, respect those outside shooters is you got to keep making it. Now, of course, we know both those guys are great shooters and the reputations are such that they're going to hit big shots, uh, but they've got to start doing it at some point and they've got to do it consistently. You know, we saw what the offense looked like in that quick spurt comeback against Michigan. You go from, I think it went from 22 to 11 or 21 to 11 points almost instantly. And it was a couple of stops on the defensive end and you come out and there were a couple of good hustle plays and Williams hits a couple of threes. And all of a sudden, you know, you've cut that lead in half within, I think, a minute and a half or two minutes. And so that's really the formula is get a few stops, get those rebounds and then come down and hit the open shots. Absolutely. And that's a pretty simple formula and one that in the long run will probably work out for Carolina more than it fails. Um, in, in the short term, you know, you do have two games where the shots have disappeared, the quality shots have disappeared, uh, to an extent the rebounding has disappeared, the defense has disappeared, and all of those things are coachable. I guess the one kind of tangible that I know I harped on a little bit uh, after the Michigan game in our Slack channel 
was that the seniors tend to disappear when those uh, when those leads evaporate or when the other team goes on a run. I think they combined for, what was it, two or four points in the 31-point swing in Michigan from the 12-minute mark of the first half to the 12-minute mark of the second half, something along those lines. You know, yeah. is it a toughness thing? Is it just a mentality thing? Is it tinkering with the rotations and trying to figure out what works? You know, I, I just don't really see – I think uh, – Jake put it as, I'm going to dance with your girl and you're not going to do anything about it. I think that's a little bit unfair to them, but there's something that just doesn't quite seem to click as far as just kind of a toughness among the senior class. And is, is that a fair characterization or am I just um, taking things from the Slack channel and letting them be a little off base? No, I, I, I think it's close. I think it's, it's in the area. I, I don't know if I would phrase it as toughness because I – I do think uh, that as a collection, those three have really overcome a lot of adversity in their careers and worked hard and have demonstrated that they're they're all three very tough, uh, both on and off the court. What I worry about is that none of them are very vocal. Right, May is not really a vocal leader. Uh, Williams can can be a little bit on the, when he gets the defense fired up, uh, but he's not going to really talk to you and get in your face and fire up the team. Cameron Johnson is a little more vocal, but really only when he's being successful, right? So he takes his success on the court and translates that into trying to get the team going. What they need is somebody to step up and be that emotional leader and really get them fired up when things aren't going well. And that's what we just, we haven't quite seen. They weren't able to, to put that passion into buckling down and getting, frankly, any stops against Texas they weren't able to really make those critical plays when they needed to as Michigan was going on those runs and, and both those led to losses. So that's what I want to see is, is who's going to step up and be the person that is, you know, the center of attention for the team on the court. I would agree with that. And we will be able to take another step in that progression tonight as the Hills host UNC Wilmington coming in four and five uh, overall, they've got, a common opponent with Carolina and Stanford. They lost by 21 to West Miller at UNTG. Um, also lost to Gardner-Webb and Davidson. Having a lot of trouble in-state, as it would appear. They did beat East Carolina in-state. So I guess if we wanted to segue to football right quick, we could talk about that. But we're not quite there yet. Um, the interesting thing for me looking at UNCW is that they have had four different uh, leading scorers and four guys who have scored at least 20 points in a game. Um, Carolina's favored by 28. It should not be an actual game, but just from a defensive standpoint, you know, it's very similar to UNC in that you have a lot of weapons on the court at the same time. What, what are you looking to take away from this game as Carolina is coming off a break and then they have another break before Gonzaga next Saturday? Yeah. So the first thing is seventh woods is going to get his chance to have the team to himself from the point guard position with Kobe out. And that's going to be essentially the opposite of what we saw in Vegas. So we're going to get a pretty, pretty good comparison. Obviously, the competition is not quite the same, but you're going to get a comparison for how the offense flows. You are taking out the leading score on the season at this point with White coming out. I think he's uh, leading the team. Mm -hmm. And so th there's going to have to be we're going we're to see how that um, offensive momentum carries and how they can work together. So that's the one thing I'm looking for. Uh, the other thing is, frankly, I just want to see the team engaged. Um, I, I want to see 
uh, I want to see him come out with a good, strong defensive effort, but again, to stay emotionally engaged. You know, December games are always a little bit soft from that energy standpoint anyway. The kids are going into, um, into exams. Everybody's got the holidays on their mind. We're going through a stretch now where I think they've got one game in 16 days or something, 15 days. Yeah. And so it's hard to keep that energy from the season going, I think, during these lulls. And it can be a real test, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing them come out and, and see what kind of fire Coach Williams has lit under them. Yeah, I, I expect them to come out a little bit more crisp than your normal exam season lull. You know, I, I think that's one of the type of things that has become so beaten into our heads as Carolina fans that's probably a little bit overrated as a factor at this point. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you want to see them go ahead and – put this game away early. And then really what I'd be looking for is to maintain that lead too. You know, Carolina got up double digits at Michigan and pretty much immediately gave it back. But I'd like to see Carolina go up 15, 18 points and then extend that lead and, you know, push into the thirties. And at maybe at that point you stagnate a little bit, but very similar to what they did uh, early on in the Elon game, just keep piling on as opposed to hitting, you know, hitting a threshold and then stopping. Yeah, the, the one other thing is the lineups, and I, I know you talked about it earlier, and it's an excellent point uh, in trying to maintain the chemistry on the floor. I'm going to be interested to see if Coach Williams moves toward lineup changes where there are constantly two or three starters on the floor, even as the subs are coming through, and you're rotating out those starters in order to get the next five on the floor rather than going you know, one starter and and four off the bench on the floor to try to maintain a little more of that chemistry and keep those starters uh, engaged a little more. Yeah, I think having continuity would be a good thing. And, uh, I mean, he was very big on the line shifts more so than usual against Michigan to where you'd have five starters out, five starters in. But keeping a couple of those guys on the floor at all times would probably be better just for developing the on-court chemistry in-game and – you know, obviously you're going to have a lot more of that in practice, but especially without Mm -hmm. Kobe White, you get to see how guys mesh with seven woods specifically similar to how we had a two game sample of uh, seeing the opposite. Like you said. Yep. And one more chance for leaky black to get some run at the point guard. Uh, He did not perform particularly well in Vegas in that role. And so it's a chance for him, uh, you know, to get a little more play there and, and, try to get a better sense of whether that's going to be a viable option as we move into conference play. Absolutely. And we're going to table it right there because speaking of failures in Ann Arbor, Carolina hired Greg Robinson very briefly as defensive coordinator. Uh, the first major hire under Mac Brown's staff. Twitter was appalled on a national level. Um, I, I wrote something on Tar Heel blog that got a pretty good, good amount of feedback as well and later that night it turned out greg robinson was not the defensive coordinator at north carolina we'll start with you know just from a standpoint of we, we've discussed that the mac brown hire is going to work if there are dynamic coordinators in place and it's you know the ceo system which is definitely an overused term at this point but it's one that applies here The first major hire was a 67-year-old guy whose last 
Power 5 defense gave up over six yards of play at Michigan at a time when the Big Ten was not modernized. Uh, what struck you about that? And then we can move forward to the positives that have developed since. Boy, I would love to know the inside story for how that hire started and then how how it went down. And I would want to know, you know, is this a nod to the public perception and the outcry that, man, this is not a good first step for this uh, football administration and we really need to move in a different direction? Or was it that, you know, perhaps the, the hiring was just a little overblown or the role wasn't quite clear? Uh, there was some, you know, I read some conflicting stories about, is he going to be an advisor? Was he stepping in into a coordinator role? It was a little hard to tell there. So, you know, there could have just been some confusion. We got out ahead of the story a little bit. Um, but that would really, if you knew that motivation, I think we would be much closer to understanding uh, what the goals were, at least in the short term, uh, for, for Mac Brown. Yeah, and it was made pretty clear by people with a little bit more insight than us that the decision was or the intent was to hire him as defensive coordinator and that's troubling um i i will say just from a sheer unc football fan standpoint i am proud that there was enough uproar to get the greg shiano situation in play um because man that that, that would have just been a disaster yeah, congratulations on uh, carrying the flag for that, by the way. That was great. Hey, I, I, I did my part. I think national media probably did a little bit more. And then when Inside Carolina is so befuddled by seeing that scoop that they don't report it because, quote, we could not believe it. Uh, <laughs> when, 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 that's, when that's your uh, athletic department, quote, unquote, independent sound voice, soundboard, um, and it's met with such disgust and immediate and unanimous uh, rejection. That says a lot. So I, th I think we need to pat ourselves on the back as the UNC fan base collective for letting that not happen. Um, so let, let, me, let me flip the tables on you then. Okay. Help me. You, you are much more in tuned to the strategy of the coaching hires. What, what is the, what's the goal here? Because we've got, you know, you've got former players coming back. We've got some of his old acquaintances and, and coaching folks coming in. You've got some rumors of folks from Power Five conferences coming in to coordinator roles, potentially, or at least with with big team experience. You know, what what is it that they're looking for? If you could sum up in just, you know, a couple of sentences, what is his goal with the hiring here? Without speaking to him personally you wouldn't really know but what it would appear to me to be is you're looking for two autonomous entities uh you know the offensive side and the defensive side with a heavy 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 i emphasize heavy emphasis on recruiting um that would be reflected in retaining tommy thigpen possibly even promoting him um bringing tim brewster back who is an ace recruiter in his own right and dre Bly, who's from the Hampton, Virginia area, he was, which was a big focus of the Dick Crum era going back uh, to the Mac Brown era. You look at guys like Lawrence Taylor, um, Michael Vick from that area, Percy Harvin from that area, um, an area that UNC's kind of lacked in the last 20 years. And then he was a high school coach in Charlotte. So that's two of your major check boxes there. But just from a philosophical standpoint on the offensive and defensive coordinator sides, Really, you're just looking for 
schemes that work well together. You know, I, I think uh, we have experienced what it looks like when you have a head coach that has a history on one side and somewhat more or less ignores the other side. Um, I, and, and I'm not even really being salty there. You know, I mean, Fedora was very adamant that the defense was not his role and that he was willing to delegate that. Um, the problem is when you have a preference for one side of the ball, you have guys who come in as athletes and instead of being a safety, they're going to be a receiver every time. And, you know, I think what, oh man, I, I, I've kind of lost the basis of your question here, but basically I think they're looking for balance and a guy like Mike Sanford, who has been able to adapt his system to the personnel, you know, you look at what he did with Jay Ajay at Boise state and then Deshaun Kaiser and Will Fuller, among others at Notre Dame, that's a guy who you can adapt your talent to. He doesn't have to run a breakneck pace or a slow down, take 40 seconds off the clock offense, which makes hiring a defensive guy names such as Bob Shoop or Jay Bateman come to mind um, a lot easier because they don't say, hey, my numbers are going to look jacked up because this guy is going to go three and out in 15 seconds and put our defense right back on the field. So I think what you're really looking for is just cohesiveness. Is that make a little bit of sense yeah i i think it does i think the recruiting point is is spot on i think the the concern with sanford of course is that he's a great offensive coordinator if he's got players and if the talent level drops a little bit like it did for him as the head coach the last couple of years of western kentucky then it you know then that's not going to necessarily be his success point and so he's going to have to have players I think Shoup is obviously used to having good players on the defensive side, uh, you know, both Tennessee a couple years ago and then then this year and, and has an opportunity, I think, to come in and be a great coordinator. And you're right. There's a delegation that is going to have to happen to both sides of the ball um, to try to generate some success. But I, I agree with your earlier point that it's really down to trying to bring in folks that are going to be successful recruiters and from that perspective there seems to me to be a great opportunity right now because there's not a powerhouse football school in the state of north carolina right now there just isn't there is not a super powerhouse football school in the state of virginia right now uh, because you know tech is is a little bit down from a program perspective and so there are opportunities i think to recruit and make that statement around the home base, and that is certainly what Brown has indicated, at least publicly, uh, through the you know through the last week. Yeah, and even given his age, you know what you have to credit him with is he still got cachet, and I think we've seen that pretty quickly just with some of the doors that he's already been been able to open. And if you have that cachet up front, and then you have stud recruiters like Thigpen, like Brewster, who can kind of carry the torch in that regard. And then guys like Bly, um, depending on who he brings back, like Chad Scott, who are still younger and learning on the job. What you have is guys who are well-connected with UNC, thus well-connected within the state, and able to relate to recruits. It could end up being pretty exciting to watch. Um, what we are going to do is take a quick five second break uh we might have an ad read hey
And we're back. We don't actually have ad reads. Um, if you want to sponsor us, uh, email me at Stephen with a PHC Floyd at gmail.com. I'd be happy to work something out with you. Um, in the meantime, I guess the advertisement would be for this podcast. Go on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to Tar- the weekly Tar Heel, leave us a five-star review. If you leave a five-star review with commentary, I will read it on the air. We don't have any new ones, so I don't have anything to read, and that's highly disappointing. So, again, Apple Podcasts, Weekly Tar Heel, subscribe, review, five stars, comment, put whatever you like in it. We'll read it. So, Joe, um, we cut off, and we were just talking about Brown's recruiting cachet and then some of the other guys uh, that he has brought in, such as Bly, such as Tim Cross. Um, let's talk about it from a, from an X's and O's standpoint. Obviously we don't have coordinators yet, but you look at a guy like Tim Cross and he's got an interesting resume, uh, having been the defensive line coach at Air Force the past couple of years. Apparently he is just an absolute stud at teaching technique, which, you know, I think that was another aspect that was sorely lacking under the previous regime. So, you know, a lot of coaches get kind of pushed into a corner where they're either a recruiter or they're an X's and O's guy. Do you think there's a situation where UNC is looking to kind of have a balance of those guys, or are they looking for guys who can do a little bit of both? Well, I think really that you were exactly correct, that what they're looking for right now is to bring in recruiters right now. And I think that that's the view right now is is to bring somebody like Cross in and, and have them go out and make those contacts, particularly with the high school coaches, develop those relationships again. Uh, Brown's been very public about wanting to do that and, and try to get things moving. Now, <laughs> from a position standpoint, we both know there's plenty of improvement that can be had on the line on both sides, frankly, on offense and defense. But from an offense line perspective, you got to tell me what the offense is going to be before we know how important that line is. And you're looking for very different linemen and very different play in what Fedora's offense was versus what you're going to have if you go to a more pro style, which obviously is, is the idea with bringing somebody like Sanford in. And so I, I think that there's going to be an adjustment point while the recruiting catches up to uh, to the style of offense, and that's you're always going to have that anytime you make a significant change like that. Um, schools are going to have that consistently, and that's where you've got to rely on, I think, that really strong leadership from the coordinator perspective um, in order to handle that change and try to provide uh, some semblance of, of victory and success while you're going through it. And frankly, you know, if the strategy is to bring in recruiters, then we are going to know within the next six weeks how successful this group is. I would say so, and I would give them a pass on the 2019 class regardless just because they are coming into a situation where, you know, I mean, you started with 12 commits, and from what I can read, I mean, basically the five guys who decommitted were told that they were not UNC caliber players. Um, and if you it, and if you look at the recruit list, I mean, you can make that case. Um, what, what I'm more interested in is, you know, kind of the opposite of what you said, the opportunity for a coordinator to come in, because outside of Anthony Ratliff Williams, UNC should have the entire offense intact. So from a personnel perspective, an offensive coordinator has a chance to come in and make a great leap to put on a resume just by having a quarterback in place and putting his offense in place and letting them go to work, um, you know, really can run 
whatever his preferred system is. Although I would say I agree with you, you know, the offensive line play is not going to matter quite as much if you ended up with a Cliff Kingsbury or just a pure air raid guy where the ball's out in two seconds every play anyway. Um, same kind of point on the defense. You know, the defense loses some guys, but they were so technically unsound that if a guy can come in and just be a steadying influence, you can see pretty rapid improvement. So Bob Shoup has been kind of the biggest name bandied about. Uh, Jay Bateman of Army has been kind of the one that I've zeroed in on as a personal choice. But I do understand that his numbers could be inflated just going opposite a ball control offense at Army. So, what? I mean, let, let's take it to the defensive side. What would your goal be just looking at a defensive coordinator higher and what would success be in 2019 on the field? So, first of all, of course, we already have a co-defensive coordinator with Thickpen. And so the idea of having the continuity, I think, is there. Um, it's unusual, I think, to announce a co-defensive coordinator without another co-defensive coordinator. But I'm willing uh, to bet that whole situation still in flux. <laughs> I'm sure it is. I think that's exactly right. From the defensive side, frankly, I was not overly disappointed in the Carolina defense this year. When you look at where that group has come in the last three or four years, and the defense was good enough to win games this year. And that's the bottom line. Now, I think that that is a low bar to set, but that is a bar that as fans we've gotten comfortable with, is that just keep us in it, and the offense is going to score points. And what happened over the last couple of years is the offense just didn't score. And so that was a, a obviously was a, an issue. I think the defensive coordinator has a much better opportunity for success because I do think that there is, is – a lot of talent on that side of the ball. I think if you just look at the numbers, they have had some success. Um, and I think that there's some a chance for them to be, again, at least a good enough defense to keep the team in games and give them chances to win. And what I'd like to see is a defense that not only gives the team a chance to win, but creates opportunities to win. Um, forcing turnovers was a big bugaboo the past three or four years for UNC's defense. And a lot of that was just stemmed from not really getting much pressure on the passer until this year, but Malik Carney's gone. Um, you know, I mean, there, there would be a case to be made for just stability and going back to the Gene Chizik, Ben Don't Break philosophy, but there's also just room for improvement really in any facet imaginable. You know, run game was bad, pass game was bad, uh, big the explosive plays were bad. The efficiency was bad. So it'll be interesting just looking at whenever a guy is hired, and I'm sure we'll talk about it on the next podcast and hopefully have some film, have some stats on that guy, just seeing where we can look for improvement right away on the defensive side. Yeah, the chunk plays were obviously an issue this year. Uh, there were problems covering over the top, particularly uh, on pickups after – after blitzes from the edge, there were just issues getting back deep with the safeties. And, and there were some big plays there at Chizik's the bend, but don't break concept, I think was perfect for the time when he was there. But again, that was a time when the offense was putting up a lot of points. And when that happens, it puts pressure on the opposing team's offense to try to keep up and to some extent relieve some of that pressure on the defense. And so as long as they weren't giving up big scores, they could just play back and wait for the other team to essentially make mistakes, which right. turned turned out pretty good during Chizik's run. 
that kind of philosophy wouldn't have worked this year. Um, and so, you know, I wasn't terribly disappointed with the strategy on defense on the whole for the year, but there was definitely some execution problems as we saw. And of course that, that goes to both sides of the ball, but there were, there were just those issues that you hope can get cleaned up next year and have a little better in game management, um, to, to try to try to move the team forward. Absolutely. And, you know, as, as we've kind of, we've used the word delegation, and continuity a few times here, but I think that comes down to hiring a strong voice at offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator and those units while on, on the whole, obviously operating uh, together, operating as se separate entities and being able to, you know, be cohesive and successful individually and contribute to the team aspect, which again, that that's just something that I did not really see in the last regime. I didn't really think the uh, philosophies aligned very well. Um, so I'll just put you on the spot as it is 241 on Wednesday. We don't have an offensive or defensive coordinator yet. Who do you think the hires are going to be? Uh, I Everything I've seen says it's going to be Sanford on the offensive side. I, I don't think that any of the jobs that are coming open are going to affect that. Um, and so I, I think that he's coming in. I suspect that one's close to being done. Uh, Shoop on the defensive side sure looks like the person. And I think that, uh, um, that the school's going to put some money toward him and it's going to come away with a big contract coordinator, uh, with an opportunity for success. So that's, those are my guesses. That's where the, all, all signs point to, to trying to move both of those needles over. I think those are definitely the safe bets, and until I see anything different, that's what I'm going to speculate about. Um, Shoop would solidify a solid 4-3 defense, which Carolina already kind of has in place. You know, he would be perfect continuity and technical improvement hire. And Sanford, I mean, you know, like I said, he's run a whole lot of different systems and should more or less be kind of plug-and-play. So I would be very ecstatic with both of those. I would consider that a home run and would think with that, the plan where I wrote that Matt Brown kind of needs these things to go just right. I think having those guys as the strong coordinator hires would be a step in that direction. Yeah. And, and to have us keep talking about Carolina football for another couple of weeks. I mean, I wrote this in the article on Monday. I don't remember the last time that we had meaningful discussions about Carolina football in December. And this is great. It's great to have this conversation. It's great to put the, our, the school's name out there for the recruits, uh, for the, the high school coaches as they're finishing up their playoff runs and, and have a, a little publicity and a little positive momentum as we get into uh, toward the, the signing period and then uh, you know move into spring practice. It is definitely something that's keeping UNC both uh, locally and even nationally on the board, I mean, you know, there's been more discussion on UNC football on some of the national podcasts in the past week and a half than there had been in the past two years combined, I'd suspect. Um, as long as that news stays positive and the Robinson hire, the not hire was not really positive, but most everything else has been encouraging. So we're going to keep beating the drum, but hope, hoping for more good news and hoping for a basketball win tonight. And we can touch base next week and figure out uh, what what else we need to parse here, Joe. How about that? Sounds great. Thanks again for having me on. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Um, anything hitting Tar Heel blog in the near future that you need to plug? He does write a mean weekly hangover that hits at 9 o'clock every Monday morning. 
Yep, and that's the that's the plan. We're going to roll back into that and and probably take a little bit of look at the the holidays ahead and figuring out uh, what gifts I would like Santa to leave the the Tar Heel basketball team. There we go. Well, I'll start with a win over Gonzaga. Um, I'm actually going to be in, t- in attendance for that one. Oh, very yeah. nice. That will be a great game and will be a great measuring stick for what this team is able to do. I'm very much looking forward to that. It's going to be a good one, and we're definitely going to break that one down sometime next week. But until then, listeners, thank you for listening, first of all. Secondly, go and subscribe and leave a five-star review. Thirdly, come back again next week. We'll talk to you. Go Heels.